Hello and welcome to Rural Business Uncovered, brought to you by the CLA, where we discuss matters affecting the rural sector. The Country Land and Business Association is the membership organisation that provides support and expert advice to landowners and rural businesses across England and Wales. Since the vote to leave the European Union, we've spent several years talking about the replacement of the common agricultural policy with new schemes being designed in the UK. In England, the agricultural transition has now begun, with farmers seeing the first cuts to their direct payments last month, whilst awaiting the Sustainable Farming Incentive, one of the new environmental land management schemes, uh, which will be launched later this year. In today's podcast, we're joined by CLA advisors Harry Greenfield and Cameron Hughes to discuss the new schemes available and what they mean for the farming and land management sector. Welcome both uh, to Harry and Cameron. Um, Harry, if I can come to you first, Tell us a bit about your background and your role with the CLA. Hi, Alad. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me on. So I work um, in the CLA's London office uh, in the land use team, um, and I focus specifically on on the environment, on environmental schemes and environmental policy. So a lot of my work at the moment is taken up with these new uh, environmental land management or ELM schemes, as well as with the existing countryside stewardship and other stewardship schemes that have been around for a few more years. So plenty going on there, Harry. And uh, Cameron, how about you? Well, I, yes, thanks for having me as well. So Cameron Hughes, I'm also in the land use team. So the same team as Harry, based here in London. And agricultural policy is my kind of main area of focus. And I guess in terms of what we're talking about today, the, the related bits that include the sort of basic payment scheme and the cuts, and then particularly kind of the new sort of farming support schemes. Brilliant. Well, thank you uh, once again to, to both of you. Harry, to start us off, can you tell us a bit more about the latest announcements from government on the agricultural transition? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess they announced probably around a year ago the, the agricultural transition plan, which kind of gave an overview of the changes they wanted to make, removing BPS and introducing these new schemes. And since then, there's been a bit of a kind of drip, drip of new information coming out. There's another announcement in the summer. And the latest one was um, earlier this month or earlier in December um, at the CLA conference. In fact, the Secretary of State um, announced some, for, some more information about the new schemes. Um, the focus was on the Sustainable Farming Incentive, which is the first of the ELM schemes to be introduced. Um, it's been piloted um, in 2021, and then it's being introduced um, to a wider group of farmers or to all farmers who currently receive BPS um, in this year, in 2022. Um, so, um, they announced the details of some of the standards for that scheme. Um, it's based on, on a series of standards which farmers can sign up to. And the ones that are available in 2022 are the so two soil standards and one for moorland and rough grazing. Um, and there's also a bit more context about um, what's coming in the future, because this is just the kind of, I guess, the first, one of the first steps, uh, the first of the ELM schemes to be fully, fully available to almost all farmers. Um, so yeah, some of the detail that we've been waiting for for quite a long time, really. 
um, was announced recently. Yeah. And Cameron, I know you mentioned earlier, you do a lot of work around the, the BPS. The BPS is being phased out uh, over a period of years. How exactly is that going to be done? And what might the implications be uh, on farmers? Yeah, well, as you alluded to in your introduction, it seems like you, you're already on the case and are aware that December 2021 was the first year of reduced BPS payments. Um, and so BPS payments are being phased out um, sort of gradually, gradually between 2021 and 2027, tapering tapering off. And so DEFRA has published how the cuts are going to be calculated between 2021 and 2024. Um, and there's a banded approach to the different cuts. So it'll depend on the t- total size of a claimant's claim um, as, to, as to how they're going to be impacted. But by 2024, um, most recipients of BPS will have seen their payments reduce um, by around 50% or at least 50%. And so I guess a fairly stark figures that are bandied around, I suppose, in terms of the impact on the industry, one being that you know only 25% of the sector as a whole is profitable um, without BPS payments. And I guess that's kind of quite a broad statement and different sectors potentially impacted differently. And so the ones that are sort of held up as being sort of most most likely to be affected by BPS reductions, uh, your sort of cereal sectors and your livestock grazing sectors as well. Um, and then you, the, your pig and poultry and dairy sectors being slightly less less affected. That's speaking very generally. And I guess it's important to say that there'll be there's sort of a range of reliance within each of those sectors and uh, some some will be badly hit no matter which sector they they sit in. So yeah, big, big changes afoot. Yeah. And I guess you've had a range of reactions from your members uh, because it affects everybody slightly differently. Yeah. I mean, I th- I think, I don't, I don't know if necessarily members also all sort of think BPS is sort of the, the best, the best thing ever, but there is that recognition that it's kind of propped up a lot of, a lot of their farming enterprise o- o- over the years. And I guess there's, that more concerned about what what's coming down the track and how and how they're going to be able to adapt in the in, in the future. I think sort of that message about those payments being being phased out is sort of is starting to hit home, particularly with this year with being the first year of reduced payments. And there was talk about um, delinking the payments and uh, having the ability for uh, claimants to apply for a, a one-off lump sum, almost a retirement package. Uh, what's what's the latest with that proposal? Yeah, well, if I can just take those two things separately, because um, delinking um, is going to be introduced from 2024. So from 2024 onwards, you won't have to submit your annual claim. And it's just, I guess, a way of... Um, DEFRA and the RPA kind of administering the remaining payments um, that are kind of left in sort of the most administratively straightforward fashion possible. Um, the lump sum exit scheme, we've been waiting for quite a while on that. As from what we know at the moment, it's going to be um, available in one year only, i.e. in 2022. But other than sort of have a bit of an indication as, as to you know how it might work and who might be eligible, um, we don't actually know the, the details. And one of the key ones I guess is the tax treatment of that lump sum in that that sort of fundamentally decides how much you're actually going to get um one of my colleagues is a meeting on that this week so um so that's that's still be to be decided but given that people will have to apply for the lump sum scheme next year we're expecting the scheme rules to be published sort of fairly shortly so either 
just before the end of this year or early next. So watch this space for more details on that, on that front. But I guess the rationale behind the lump sum exit scheme is to try and encourage um, the transfer of land possibly or get, getting land in the hands of uh, more productive farmers or the next generation of farmers is trying to stimulate more productivity in the countryside. I guess that's one of the aims. Um, and it looks like one of the, well, there, there will be various different eligibility requirements and criteria, but it, it, it looks like you're likely going to have to exit the industry so you can't you, you you have to either gift sell or rent your land out on a kind of longish term basis perhaps five years um or longer and so i guess that that is is that is part of it um is about trying to kind of persuade those who who were perhaps thinking about about leaving um to to sort of take those conversations more seriously yeah it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out and as you said uh, the tax treatment will will be key to this uh, harry as the bps is phased out we're going to see the sustainable farming incentive come in to tell us a bit more about that how it's going to operate and what's going to be the expectations on on claimants yeah so um, as I said before, it's the first of the the new environmental schemes and the sort of public goods that we've heard so much about. Um, but as the first one, I think the the sustainable farming centre, the SFI, is aimed at um, a broad section of farmers. It's aimed at um, supporting sustainable farming, as the title implies, and therefore it's things that farmers should be able to do as part of their business, rather than some of the more kind of ambitious, ambitious environmental management which involves taking things out of production for example what will come in the future schemes um, so it's based on on standards so you have standards for different um, types of land or environmental features so in the pilot um, which we've seen this year there's been standards for things like uh, hedgerows soils grassland that kind of thing um, in 2022 they're introducing three of those standards so two soil standards one on grassland and one on arable um, and then the smallland and, and rough grazing standard. Um, the, each of the standards will be available at three levels. So there's an introductory, intermediate and advanced level. And you get paid more as you go up through the levels um, and you have to do more things for that. Um, so a standard basically is just a collection of actions that you have to complete. Um, so for the soil things, it's things like cover crops, um, incorporating organic matter in the soil, carrying out soil testing, those kind of things. Um, if you do all the things that you're required to, then you get the payment. Um, so some of the details around application are still to emerge. Um, but as we, as far as we understand it, you basically identify the land you want to put into each standard and at what level. Um, put in the application and then um, you have to do it's a three-year agreement you go into um, and they've tried to simplify it as far as possible so you basically I think have an annual claim at the end of each year to basically say that you've carried out the actions that you're supposed to carried out um, or if you haven't you're able to explain sort of why that is and, and there is some flexibility to change these agreements at the end of each year um, and payments will be made on that basis. I guess the other thing to say is that they're introducing these standards in a sort of phased approach. So um, there's three coming in 2022 and then a further group coming in 23, 24 and 25. Um, so maybe three or four standards introduced in each of those years and people will be able to add those onto their agreement. So if you've got a three year agreement with just a soil standard, for example, you can then in add the hedgerow standard when that comes and there'll be an uh, integrated pest management standard, for example, and others like that. Um, so one of the things that was announced um, this month was the sort of 
the pathway over the next few years and which standards are going to be introduced when. Um, so I think the aim is that you build up something that's quite flexible to your farm. You can you can pick and choose which you which you apply for and at what level, um, and you're as it's, you're able to sort of change that over time. Um, the payment rates were also announced, um, mostly per sort of per hectareage basis. Um, they're not huge for the ones that have been announced, but they're probably sort of commensurate with what action you're trying to do. It's not, you know, it's, it's a starting point. So it's giving you a little bit of money to do a little bit of um, activity. Um, I think the, the more ambitious you get. So for example, they didn't announce the advanced level standards for the soils ones um, yet, but we know that that's likely to include things like um, no or minimum tillage agriculture. So the kind of uh, activities that are in regenerative farming, for example. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot, I think, you know, there's a lot still to come, but um, we know the kind of basic shape of what it looks like. Um, yeah. And how successful have the pilots been? Uh, it's a little early to tell because they've only, the first agreements were only signed in the last month or two. Um, I think that um, the pilots are a bit more complicated than the what's being rolled out more widely. They've simplified it for the, for the kind of full rollout. Um, but I think, you know, they've had almost a thousand applicants to the pilots. So people obviously see something in there that they they're attracted to um i think a lot will depend on how they're how they're delivered whether the the sort of drive to simplicity which is one of the things they're trying to achieve that needs to stay there people want something that's simple to sign up to there's not the scheme the sfi has been designed to be available without advice so the idea is that any farmer should be able to do the paperwork and do the activity reliant on advice you know guidance on the government website but they don't they won't need a specialist expert advisor necessarily so it will be good to see in the pilot the extent to which that's the case i suppose the other thing our members are really interested in is the approach to inspections and enforcement some of the problems with least the reputational problems with countryside stewardship have been that you can try and do everything right but if you make a relatively small mistake you get hit really hard with penalties um DEFRA have made it clear they don't want that approach. They're trying to be supportive. So if something goes wrong, the idea is that you should be able to be open about it. Um, they've said that, you know, they're not trying to catch farmers out. So if you say that you weren't able to do the thing you signed up to do, they'll help you to do it or, um, you know, support you to find out, find a way to do it. And at the end of the day, if you, if you can't do it, they may not pay you for it, but they won't take away any more of your payment than that. But I think, you know, We'll have to to wait and see on that one because I think there's some degree of skepticism from the farming sector as to whether that can really be true and whether um, it will be as straightforward as as has been promised. Yeah, well, I'm sure many of our listeners would welcome that degree of flexibility and the ability to apply for derogations at times where things get difficult. And uh, so far, how much do we actually know about? the process of monitoring some of these schemes will there be an annual inspection or will it be targeted in some way on a, on a risk basis i don't think we know a huge amount i mean i think it's like fairly light touch um the main way of doing it is is sort of this annual declaration that farmers will submit to say that they've done what they've signed up to do um i think we're hoping that the inspections and monitoring will be more risk-based so that it will be um sort of having trust that most farmers are getting on and doing it and if you do have this sort of reset in the relationship you're hoping that farmers will be more able to ring up the relevant government 
body to say when something's gone wrong. Um, so, you know, as I say, quite an idealistic position, but the idea is they wouldn't need so much inspection because people would be more willing to say when something hasn't worked and therefore you hope that most people are doing it right or getting help when it's not going right. Um, and I think they're moving towards more sort of technological ways of monitoring. So things like remote sensing might be brought in in the future. Um, so some of that might might be another an additional way of of keeping keeping track of what's being delivered. But no, a lot of that detail is is still to come. I think. Yeah. So very much watch this space. For members, CLA Insurance are more than just a broker. We are trusted advisors, providing the highest level of service and value for money for farm, land and estate, home, motor as well as business, legal expenses and trustee indemnity insurance. Contact the CLA insurance team today on 01234 230295 or visit www.clainsurance.co.uk for a no-obligation quotation. Next year, we're going to be seeing the start of the Animal Health and Welfare Pathway. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, um, so the Animal Health and Welfare Pathway, I guess, is a new programme, um, which is kind of very much focused on funding improvements that sort of go beyond the regulatory baseline. Um, and it's a, so it's, a, it's a, new, a new initiative. The idea is, is that it's going to be a long-term funding programme, so there's no sort of clear end date in in place for it and we're going to see the launch of the the pathway um via something called the annual health and welfare review um again details of that were, were published alongside the sort of sfi details that we that we got at the beginning of beginning of december and the first step of the pathway i guess is going to be launched alongside sfi 2022 and so the annual health and welfare review is is basically a fully funded vet visits lasting two to three hours for um, commercial cattle, sheep and pig farmers that also claim BPS. And so I guess it's kind of very much seen as the first step along along the pathway, which will develop and um, different bits will be added to it over time. And I guess this first bit is, is, is kind of around um, building those sort of vet to farmer relationships. Um, there's, there'll be an element of testing to the to the vet visit where the vet can, can test for endemic diseases um, and kind of also help develop um, sort of flock or herd health plans if they if they if they aren't already there. Um, later on, we're kind of expecting to see the next stage along the pathway, which is going to be a capital capital grant scheme, um, and then. The dates dates of that are still to be confirmed, but that'll be for sort of specific items that go beyond the regulatory baseline and improve animal health and welfare. And I guess it'll be similar to to the um, farming investment fund, um, which I might touch on a little bit later. In how it might even be delivered alongside it. I don't, that's a question I've asked. I don't actually know the answer to. I haven't been told yet. And what about the eligibility for, for accessing support through that pathway? Is it Do you have to be a current BPS claimant or, or an SFI recipient to, 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 get, to be eligible for that? Yeah, so um, to be eligible for this first step, 
um, you have to be a BPS recipient and a commercial sheep, cattle or pig farmer. There are different numbers given for each um, for each of those different um, so a minimum minimum set of numbers for each of those different three um, which I don't I don't have off the top of my head but it was it was published um, alongside the SFI details and I I should probably say that it's not the intention for the pathway always to be limited to to that kind of narrower set of eligible recipients but also to widen it out more broadly as the as the pathway develops but at least Initially, it's being kind of aimed at aimed at those those three. So, the support available through the um, animal health and welfare pathway will it be fully funded, or will parts of it just be part funded? Um, I guess all all, all, I, all I can tell you is what I know about the the pathway at the moment. And step one of the pathway, the annual annual health and welfare review, is fully funded. Um, you get you, you'll get a different amount depending on whether you're a sheep farmer or or a beef farmer or pig farmer or or a mixture of both um and then i guess moving on to the kind of the capital grants um the proportion of well i guess one the the list of equipment that is going to be funded hasn't been decided or if it has we haven't been told about it and the extent to which those items will be funded also hasn't hasn't been communicated yet um there are other things that are, that are going to be piloted in, in the future so there's a payments by results scheme. I think that the pilot for that starts in 2023. Um, there's also another another focus, which is on endemic disease and condition support, um, which again is going to be sort of piloted over time and then launched at a point in time in the future. But but I'm not I'm not sure when. Uh, and as you touched upon uh, earlier, there there have been a range of productivity support schemes launched this year. Tell us a bit more about what's actually on offer there and what can uh, farmers claim for. Yeah, I guess I'd probably na- broaden it to productivity and and support schemes. Um, I could probably talk to you for hours hours about it. And there's there's lots of different ones flying around. Um, but if I just sort of pick three, um, there's something called the Future Farming Resilience Fund, and is aimed at BPS recipients. And it's basically a, a scheme that offers free advice and support um, to BPS recipients to help them model the impact of their BPS cuts and uh, identify opportunities or ways of adapting going forward. Um, advice that they'd otherwise have to pay for. And there are 19 different organizations, each providing kind of um, a focus on different geographies or sectors, um, different range of supports available. So that it sort of includes, generally speaking, webinars, group discussions, one-to-one meetings, and kind of bespoke action plans. And so there's a further round of that that's going to be launched in 2022. Um, so I'm trying to encourage members to sort of t- take a look at that because, you know, almost what's not to lose. Um, I guess we had the Farming Investment Fund that was launched in November, 16th of November, I think it was. Um, so... That's kind of broadly based on the countryside productivity small and large grant scheme. So it's, it's split out two ways. There's firstly the farming equipment and technology fund. So that's a scheme which um, lists, I think it's 120 items of agricultural, horticultural and forestry equipment um, and offers funding towards towards the purchase of those. And again, I think the application window closes on 7th of January 2022 for, for this round but we're expecting another round um for 2022 or later on in 2022 
And then the other element of the Farming Investment Fund is the Farming Transformation Fund. Um, so the theme that was launched in November was very much focused on water management. Um, and that will fund a large capital investment in things that improve water efficiency um, or the, the efficient use of water. So things like reservoirs, irrigation equipment, and there'll be further there'll be further funds of that. I think today we just heard that we're going to get another um, tranche funding under that scheme launched um, in mid January, and that's going to focus on um, improving farm productivity and robotics and automation and that kind of thing. So that'll be interesting. And then finally, I know it's very long answer to your question. Um, I guess we've had farming in protected landscapes, which I guess it's good to mention because it's quite different in terms of the schemes that we've, we've seen, seen before. And so that's essentially funding for farmers in or around protected landscapes. So national parks, um, area of outstanding natural beauty. And it's almost, um, I, I don't want to quite, quite say blank canvas, but it's, it's, not, it's not as prescriptive as the other schemes that we've seen sort of before the funding has been handed out to the protected landscapes and they can they decide how they want to award it provided it delivers on four themes so there's a nature climate change people and place and it's quite interesting to see the array of things that have been funded um through that already um and they include things like um reprofiling rivers um i know one farmer in norfolk's got himself a sort of bespoke trailer for visitors um so you can drive them around around this farm and i guess that's quite an interesting one in that that um it's not as prescriptive as the other schemes we've seen as i said and again that's a slightly longer term one so it's going to run up until 2024 um this this round this round i'm talking about now closes on the 31st of january but there will be other rounds launched and i think protected landscapes are really keen to kind of engage and sort of um talk to farmers land managers in their area and see what see what they can do through that one. So there's a lot going on there and a lot of dates to try and remember. And I'm sure you'll have all those dates available on the website and other forums. Uh, Harry, running alongside all these new schemes, countryside stewardship is still available in the next few years. Is that still a good opportunity for CLA members? Yeah, I think it's definitely a good opportunity. I mean, as I said before, the new environmental schemes are being introduced relatively slowly and what's available um, in 2022 doesn't, doesn't go that far in some ways. One of the reasons for that is because they're trying to make sure there's minimal overlap between those schemes and countryside stewardship. So it's running until until 2023, and there's been quite a lot of improvements in recent years. So there's simplified the application system, making it easier to apply online, for example. Um, they're trialing a new approach to inspections, which is trying to achieve some of what we talked about earlier in terms of being less, less punitive and less... Um, kind of harsh on farmers and fewer penalties um kind of rewarding people for sticking to the spirit of the agreement rather than getting into the the detail when somebody's trying their best um and there's also been some new options and there's there continues to be new options coming in and i suppose the other thing that's um could make the scheme even more attractive is they've commissioned a review of payment rates which is due to report um quite soon and so from from 2022 onwards payments will be likely to be increased for almost everyone in countryside stewardship schemes so when you take all those together um and you're talking about a kind of guaranteed five-year income stream i think it is very attractive and that's been reflected in the um the application rate so i think there's a record number of people applying in 2021 for countryside stewardship so people are definitely thinking that it's something that 
in the world of kind of uncertainty that we're facing, it's quite something you can have some certainty that if you sign up to the agreement, if you do what you, you commit to do in the contract, then you will get that money for the next uh, few years. So, and I think also contract stewardship is quite a good way of preparing for the new schemes as well. It, you know, for those who haven't necessarily done a lot of environmental management on their farm, it, it, it offers a kind of safe way to do it. And that will probably get, put you in a good position when the new schemes do come in. They've Defra are sort of committed to a smooth transition between the two. So if you're in a countryside stewardship scheme, you should be able to fairly seamlessly pass into one of the new ELM schemes when they're available. And could you have a position whereby you could stack multiple schemes on the same parcel of land? So you could have a BPS element, you could have a countryside stewardship and an SFI all essentially yeah, on the same land? They have, um, yeah, that, that should be allowed. As I say, the schemes have at the moment been designed to be kind of complementary so you know the reason there's been a focus on soil um, is partly because that's not so much covered in countryside stewardship so it's in the SFI instead so you know that you can certainly enter the same land into multiple schemes I think the limits are you're not allowed to be paid for the same thing twice um, and you're also not allowed to be to sign up to kind of conflicting things you know you can't you can't sign up to an arable grass uh, arable soil standard and a you know woodland management on the same piece of land because it's unlikely you can do both um but yeah no it will be possible to to stack different income sources together which should be um yeah another advantage for our members i think and cameron we're already into the transition period but what, what can f- farmers do now what's what's the best thing they should be planning for come 2020 28 when the bps is fully gone is there something in that interim time you encouraging uh, landowners to do yeah i guess there are a couple of things um one one thing and some people will have done it already but the rural rural payments agency have produced a bps calculator which models your bps cuts uh between well whenever you put the information in but if you were to do it now be between 2021 and 2024 and so it just it just forecasts what your own claim is going to be um between that time which is which is worth doing um i'd probably i i mentioned it before but i'd encourage people to take a look at the future farming resilience fund because that's that's basically a scheme that's been designed to help people deal um, through the transition um, help them identify alternative income streams, you know, um, and shine a bit of a light on what, what their business is going to look like with, without BPS. And so I'd encourage people to, to do that. And as I said, the, the current scheme closes in March, but there will be another, another one. I think it will be the last one that's going to be launched in 2022 so people should definitely um take advantage of that and there's some really quite interesting um interesting services being provided in amongst that and i know ahdb one of the providers they're looking to do carbon audits and um that kind of thing which should sort of help people kind of be in a good place to take advantage of other schemes um going forward and yeah, I guess I mean just repeating slightly what Harry said, but countryside stewardship is a good is a good place to place to start in terms of I guess it's sort of money that's kind of guaranteed over over a five year period, and it will put you in a better place to um, perhaps take advantage of the other schemes once countryside stewardship gets gets phased out. And probably one more thing is that we obviously been spending a lot of time sort of pulling pulling together all the information on these different funding sources, and we've got quite quite a lot um quite a lot of resources there so we've got a, a funding database we've got our own guidance notes the website um because there, there is an awful lot going on and i guess we've kind of maybe offer a bit of a 
service for um, put, signposting people um, in the right direction, depending on what they might be interested in. Because, I mean, be, being involved in this, I'm supposed to being the expert on it, is sort of hard enough to uh, to keep on top of everything. And I can imagine sort of trying to run a business in a farm, you know, alongside that is is an extra challenge. So I think that's what we're going to try and help people work through yeah and, and it's good that there's so much useful resource available to, to CLA members uh, and Harry as a final question how, how do you see the future of environmental schemes evolving over the next sort of decade I think um, yeah they're definitely going to evolve and I mean you know I think already the environment is rising up the agenda we had the the COP26 climate conference um, in Glasgow I think you know people are talking more and more about wildlife and biodiversity as another crisis alongside the climate crisis so I think the pressure's not you know it's coming from different directions it's not just necessarily green organizations i think the government and businesses the supply chain are all thinking in terms of of the environment so i think that's reflected you know that's one of the reasons why the decision from defra after brexit was to devote most of the money towards public goods and the environment so although we've only seen a little bit of it that's you know the details of which are available now the other schemes that we'll see the local nature recovery scheme which will be the sort of replacement for Countryized stewardship and a landscape recovery scheme, which will be this sort of large-scale changing land use um, uh, projects. You know, they're both, they're both still to come, and I think that it'll be difficult for any land management business to ignore the environment. Um, and it's probably you know worth thinking now about you know how you can adjust or adapt your business to to take advantage of those opportunities and obviously it's not just government funding as well the government's putting a lot of money into this in the next few years but also the private sector are starting to pay for for carbon for biodiversity offsets for these kind of things so um i think it's it's hard to tell how exactly they'll change and i think you know one criticism that i would make of the the agricultural transition is that that isn't clear enough that you know maybe they're trying to make it clear that the environment's important but i don't think it's necessarily clear um, for farmers today now what that does mean for them um so i think it's about kind of yeah taking advantage of the resources that cla and others have and and thinking what you can do with your own business to think about carbon water air quality all these things that are the public goods that are going to be paid for well uh, harry and cameron thank you both very much uh, for, for your time in this podcast and i think you know uh, i'm sure that there have been a number of listeners who might be slightly nervous about the prospect of of the transition and, and losing some of that um support through the bps but from what we've shared with us for the past half an hour or so there's a lot of dynamic flexible schemes coming on board which are going to offer some some real valuable opportunities uh, for advice and uh, financial support for businesses going forward and uh, with the CLA right in the heart of those discussions uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of support for for members going forward but uh, Harry and Cameron uh, uh, thank you very much uh, once again If you're not a member of the CLA you can join today more information can be found on our website www.cla.org.uk Thank you for listening and I hope you can join us again soon You've been listening to the Rural Business Uncovered podcast, the CLA's weekly podcast released every Friday. You can find all our episodes wherever you get your podcasts or just search Rural Business Uncovered on your chosen podcast provider. Remember to hit subscribe or follow to make sure you don't miss an episode.